0: Welcome to this King's Church Talk. We hope that you really enjoy it. If you have any questions, please email us on admin at kingscc.org or you can go to the website www.kingscc.org. Thank you. As we probably all know, we've been commemorating Victory in Europe Day, which was May the 8th, 1945. And in line with the nation, this morning we're considering this momentous event. We've already had Churchill's speech. And Patrick's excellent reflections on VE Day. At a time when the nation is considering this event in our history we find ourselves thinking about a new war, a conflict against a new virus. There's lots of war talk about at present, conflict, destroy, obliterate this new virus. Over the past two or three weeks in my private devotion time I've been considering VE Day and its impact and how we as Christians ought to view it. Of course There are many different views on the Christian standpoint on war, from pacifism to just war and all the shades in between. But we're not going to consider that today because we don't really have time to look at all the nuances. And there's much to consider. There's much to think about, remember and contemplate. There's much to commemorate. And right now I've got a lot of time to do just that. I suppose we all have at some level or other. I've also been considering the cross and its implications. We've just finished our short series on the cross and we looked at three different aspects uh, just before Easter. Over the past few weeks, I've been thinking about these two great events and what they might have to say to me uh, today and hopefully to you today as well. So, where have these musings led me? Well, here's some simple thoughts that have been feeding me spiritually as I've reflected on these two events. Over the past 2,000 years, there have been so many different ways of looking at the cross. Here's just a small selection. One of them is that of redemption. We're sold into slavery. Jesus dies to buy us back. He redeems us. Buying us back through his death and resurrection, he pays the price for us. Rather, like when you pawn something in a pawn shop. If you pay the right price, you can have your belongings back. Your ring was sold into the pawn shop. You needed money, or whatever it is you needed and you go and you redeem it back from the pawnbroker. Anselm of Canterbury, who lived around about 1000 AD, taught that God's honour and dignity could only be satisfied by the sacrifice of Jesus. It's called the satisfaction theory. Only a pure person, wholly perfect, could satisfy the demands of a holy God to be in relationship with him. And as we're not perfect, only Jesus is God's perfect son could satisfy the Father's demands for purity. Later on in the Reformation, penal substitution teaches us that Jesus bears a penalty for our sin. He changes place with us. He becomes our sin so that we become righteous. It's called the great exchange. Its, it's theological term is penal substitution. To put it in a much simpler way, for Anselm, Christ obeyed where we should have obeyed. For Calvin, he was punished where we should have been punished. And over Easter, I've been reflecting on these aspects of the cross. At some point in my life, I've probably preached on all of them. They're wonderful ways of understanding old truths of what the cross has done for us. All of them explain so helpfully what Jesus dying on the cross actually achieves for us. All of them lead us to reconciliation with God the Father. And just like you look at a diamond and you see the different aspects of it, as we look at the cross we see different aspects which leads us to the beautiful truth of reconciliation. But let's just think about each one. They all show us, first of all, the problem, our broken relationship with the Father. Secondly, they show us our position before God that we need some sort of outside help. Thirdly, they all show us the Father's solution. In each way, he provides the answer to the problem. Fourthly, the central role of Jesus in that solution. And fifth, the result, as I said, that we become reconciled to the Father. But for the first thousand years of the Christian message, one view prevailed over all. It was called in Latin, Christus Victor. And it's here where the strands of V.E. Day and the cross have come together for me personally. Here where I've been thinking about these two great events in history. V.E. Day is about victory in a pan-European war. And the cross is about the ultimate victory against sin and death. Christus Victor basically draws our attention to the amazing victory Christ has won on the cross for us. The atonement, which is being at one with God is achieved through divine conflict and victory over spiritual war powers that hold us in subjection. But don't be fooled into thinking that, just like the war with Germany, victory could have gone either way. It's not like that at all. It's not like the dark days of 1940, where the army is retreating from Dunkirk, or the Battle of Britain, where either side could have claimed victory. The outcome was never certain until afterwards. no in this war with that god's instituted god's war against sin and death the answer the outcome has already been decided and the cross is the way of acting that out uh, that victory out in reality as we unpack this view of the cross we come across the same issues we've just discovered first of all there's a problem we have a broken relationship with the father i had a broken relationship with the father and we're not just sinners We are sinful. We are full of sin. We're bondage to sin. It owns us. We are its slave. We can't do anything about it. We're completely in sin's grip. And because of this, sin, death, and the grave hold us in bondage. And all their friends come and also tell us what to do. They hold us in our thinking, in our habits, in our attitudes, our desires, our actions. In every part of our being, they manipulate us and hold us, and they tell us what to do. We can't help ourselves. We simply have to do what we're told. And the problem is that our relationship with the Father is forever broken, completely. So second, we think about our position. We need help we can't free ourselves, we can't deal with the problem, we just make it worse. We try to bargain with God for our freedom. Well, God, if you do this for me, I'll do that for you. If I keep the rules and I pray and I do this, that and the other, um, then God, would you do this for me? This just leads us into more and more problems. Because the fundamental problem is this, we are at war with God. And Romans unpacks that so helpfully for us, that we're at war with him, not particularly because we want to be, simply because we are sinful. We are marked out as enemies of the living God. Just think about our society, just for a moment, where Nietzsche said, uh, God is dead. And our society is acting that out. We want to obliterate God out of every aspect of our life. Every aspect of... Uh, the true spirituality loving the father is completely uh, eradicated out of our society god is dead he's gone he's defeated in our modern thinking and our world which leads us on to the third part of the uh, issue the father has a solution and it's not a particularly nice one because the father has declared war With those principalities and powers that stand against him and those who stand with those principalities and powers as jesus said if you're not for me you're against me we just heard that reading from psalm 2 where the psalmist outlines the problems that people are having the nations gathering and and um at war against god so The Psalms and the prophets in the Old Testament are full of this warfare language. We're going to look at another one here, Isaiah 66, verse 15. I'll just find that right now. This is just one from a multitude of scripture I could have used. For behold, the Lord will come in fire, and his chariots will be like the whirlwind, to render his anger in fury, his rebuke with flames of fire, For by fire the Lord will enter into judgment, and by his sword with all flesh, and those slain by the Lord shall be many. The solution is a once and for all battle to defeat the Father's enemy. He's at war. So it draws into the fourth part of it, that Jesus is part of that solution. He's the focus of that solution. Jesus becomes the focus of this war. In fact, actually, Jesus is the only solution to the father's uh, response. Philippians 2 chapter 4 the big one. Philippians chapter 2 verse 4 says let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. when we look at Jesus' life let's just consider Mark chapter 1 and 2 and again these have formed part of my thinking this last few weeks so in Mark chapters 1 and 2 Jesus declares that the kingdom is coming and of course we know that every kingdom has to have a king so what does Jesus do in Mark chapter 1 and 2 well he heals the sick he casts the spirits out he cleanses people he confronts the religious he reclaims the sabbath He's declaring time and time again, the kingdom of God is coming. And he's not doing it with a polite request. The kingdom of God is coming with violence. Because when the kingdom of God comes, that means it challenges directly the kingdom of Satan and his powers. There has to be a battle. And as a result, the powers that be, both human and spiritual, manipulate to accuse Jesus of all sorts of things. The battle lines are drawn. And in seeming humiliation and defeat, Jesus is stripped, beaten, whipped, spat on. He's denied his dignity. And finally, he's killed on a cross. It's over. The battle's been won. Jesus is dead. Imagine the party in hell as Jesus draws his last breath. Imagine the celebration when the battle is at its darkest satan has obliterated future there's no hope now god's ultimate plan has been beaten jesus is dead night was tr- was real was right god's answer to the problem has been defeated because death itself is the final enemy it's just claimed its greatest prize but as death and its friends examine the body just imagine to their surprise when they discover that the battle has been won, but not by them. It's been won by a sinless saviour. No matter what charge is put in against him in that grave, as he's laid there in the grave, no matter what charge is put against him, Jesus is found to be totally and utterly innocent. No matter what temptation was sent his way through his life, he was found to be sinless. And God found his sacrifice to be satisfactory. No sin could be found. And because of this, death is unable to hold him, and Jesus rises, raises from the grave triumphant. He defeats the greatest enemy. It's unable to keep him. The grave has to be empty. One Corinthians fifteen, Paul writes this but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. In fact, Christ has been de- raised from the dead. Just think about that. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for as by man came death by man has also come the resurrection from the dead for as in adam all die so also in christ all shall be made alive but each in his own order christ the first fruits then at his coming those who believe uh, belong to christ then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of god uh, the kingdom of kingdom to god the father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Later in the same chapter, verse 55, he sings this wonderful hymn of praise. uh, this, this, This anthem which resonates through history. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' resurrection is the ultimate proof of his victory over sin. Without resurrection, Jesus is just a good man, a teacher, a guide. But the resurrection shows his purity, his sinlessness, his perfectness. It reveals his victory over death and the grave. So, finally, what about us? What's the result? Well, the result is reconciliation with the Father. There is victory for us over sin, death, and the grave. Let's just consider baptism yet again. It's one of my favourite themes. Baptism, where somebody goes into the water, they are put under the water, and they come out of the water, is not just some nice thing. It is utterly, totally representative that we die with Christ going into the water. We are buried with him as we stay there and now we are raised with him as we come out of the water. We have been buried with Christ, we've been, sorry, we've died with Christ, we've been buried with him, and now we're raised with him. The power of sin has been broken on the cross, and in baptism, that is exactly what we're saying. The power of sin is broken in our lives. We have total victory in Christ. No longer are we subject to sin, death, and the grave. We're now resurrected in Christ's amazing victory through his grace and his mercy. Our habits, attitudes, desires, thoughts are now set free to be like Jesus. And every day we're doing that bit by bit, becoming more and more like Jesus. And each time we're tempted, we have a new battle to fight. Just as in the Second World War, the, the war wasn't won on May the 8th, 1945. It started with single battles and individual battles day by day by day. And it's just like that for us. Every day we fight the battle. Every time we're tempted, we have to start again, fight the battle. But now we're starting from freedom's point. I'm no longer starting with the point that I have to do this. I'm starting from freedom. Paul says, from freedom's sake, you have been set free. Jesus put it this way. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. When we can now walk in every aspect of our lives free, we just need to learn how to do it. Because each time we trip, his grace comes and lifts us. Now, I'm not talking about how I can be sinless on a day-to-day basis. I'm talking about sanctification, how we become more and more like Jesus. When we sin, John says when we sin, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us from all unrighteousness. Jesus' mercy and grace is ever flowing towards us and for us and through us. And we can be confident that his victory means that I can walk in the freedom he brought for me at such cost. And even if I trip up, I can be forgiven, dusted down, put on my feet, and set off again. So each, each day has its own individual battles. Until that one day, on that great day, when we finally meet the Father and the Son face to face, and we'll see the great victory that is in store for us. And we'll see it for what it really is. Revelation nineteen in verse sixteen says this, and there's the, the the text before is just wonderful description of Jesus in his his anger and his wrath, um, freeing people uh, from their sins. But right at the end it says this: He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written: King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Kingdom has come. So in conclusion, what are we going to say about these two great events? One was the climactic result of six years of war, where victory over a fascist enemy has been declared. The battle has won. Apparent peace begins. The other one, the cross, is where the ultimate battle is faced by a single man. To paraphrase another Churchill speech, Never in the history of mankind has so much been owed by so many to just one person. Victory is ours in Christ. And as we remain in Christ, we remain in victory. 1 John 5 verse 4 says this. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We have an opportunity this morning as a church to consider Jesus' victory and its impact in our lives. Think of those things that you continuously find you're being defeated by. You can stand in the grace of God and stand up again and fight those battles. One day, complete victory will be ours. And how do we know that? Because one day we will be raised from the dead We will leave the grave. We will be part of his eternal kingdom. If you're a visitor this morning, it's been great to have you. Or you're watching on YouTube later on, it's great to have you. But you also need to consider where you stand in relationship to Jesus himself. You need to consider where your relationship with the Father is. Is it broken? Do you need it repairing? Do you need it putting back together again? Do you need help? Is Jesus part of your solution? In a short while, we may be breaking bread. And as we do that, let's just consider all the elements of what the cross means to us in our daily lives. And if you're feeling that you are failing in your Christian walk, well, first of all, you're not alone. All of us fail at some point or other. We all feel that. But secondly, today, as you break bread, as you drink wine, you can know the victory again in your life, you can know again the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ in your life and be completely and utterly forgiven time and time and time again. Thanks for listening and uh, hope to see you during the week. Thank you.